Welcome back to Cresta in the Afternoon. I'm Marcus Peter, filling in for Al Cresta. We've got a pretty consequential conversation for this segment. Uh, we'll be talking to Dr. Nathan Schleter, Professor of Philosophy and Religion at Hillsdale College. The New York Times reported earlier this week that many trans patients, transgender patients, do not fully rebound from the health impacts of puberty blockers that they take early on in their transition, uh, whatever you want to call the, the, the process. And this in light of the fact that just this week, the Senate advanced a same-sex marriage, uh, a same-sex marriage bill amid uh, concerns of religious freedom. Senator, Senator Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania, he's a Catholic who voted against it, said in a statement that, uh, and he said this following the vote actually, that it puts religious freedom in jeopardy. Dr. Schlitter is a friend and uh, amongst other things, his philosophical anthropology course in Hillsdale College is genuinely world-renowned, and it's one of the reasons how I got to know him in his work. Dr. Schlitter, how are you doing? Great to uh, hear from you, Marcus. I'm doing great. And it's, it's great to hear from you, too. So, uh, you know, we, we have very little time. I, I want to, you do this, this work of uh, natural law as it pertains to anthropology, the understanding of man. You do it so brilliantly in Hillsdale. And I want us to, I want us to, to, to really grapple that. The LGBTQ movement, the transgender movement is an affront to natural law. So let's start there and then zoom into some concepts. Great. So, I mean, the, the New York Times piece I, I want to uh, talk about first, I think that that is a remarkable story to be published in the New York Times. And it, in my view, it really is just the tip of the iceberg mm-hmm. of um, a lot of other things are going to come downstream from that because uh, it really does expose the kind of Wild West uh, atmosphere of these life-changing inter- you know, medical interventions and the sort of strong ideological pressures that have been behind those uh, um, for people who struggle with um, uh, gender identity disorder. And uh, what, what the uh, uh, story does not report is that um, uh, most, uh, this is mostly for you know, puberty blockers, we're talking about kids here, and uh, in most cases, we're talking about young women um, uh, is the way it goes. We can talk more about that. But uh, a substantial majority of those children that are put on the puberty blockers, which does seem to substantially compromise their bone density mm-hmm. in a permanent way. That's what the story is about. But then well over 90 percent of the of, of the children that are put on these blockers end up uh, opting for medical transition. And, and that's also, I don't think that's reported in this story, but now you've got a whole, what I call the autonomy industrial complex in, um, in a kind of massive uh, um, uh, uh, combination of uh, woke capitalism and a kind of ideology of expressive individualism cooperating mm-hmm. to mutilate bodies of young children um, and in permanent ways. Right. And I, I think there's the tip of the iceberg because uh, there's a kind of reckoning that's happening here because this was done without uh, sci- uh, sufficient scientific data or study or care. Mm-hmm. And I think plausibly you're going to see some, uh, some lawsuits coming out of this and uh, possibly a deep correction. And uh, I think kudos to the New York Times for doing such a fair and honest and balanced story on this. And I think there's going to be more to come. 
Um, That's so, so good. So uh, I I, I want to zoom into, you, you know, as usual, you present so much richness, and I don't want any of our listeners to, to miss this. From what you're saying, it, it, it certainly is not wrong to say that what we have engaged in is sanctioned child abuse. Yeah, well, that's what uh, the, you know. The state of Florida has put a you know has prohibited these sorts of uh, uh, permanent medical interventions in children, and they've gotten attacked for it. But they're holding their ground, and in the long run, the science usually comes out on these things in a free society. But sometimes it takes a while, and so long as you know scientific inquiry is allowed to continue, uh, we're going to see things like this on New York Times piece. Mm-hmm. But you know, how do you crack? the um, ideology of expressive individualism, which is in here. I mean, part of the problem is that there, there's, a, there's a lot of money being made mm-hmm. on, on this kind of industry of doing this. There are all these cl- gender-affirming clinics. Uh, no one's reporting on what the profits are, uh, but it seems like it's pretty substantial. Uh, that's going on in America. By the way, it's worth pointing out, as the article does, that um, England and other uh, countries in Europe have pulled back from this and put a moratorium on it. And America hasn't followed suit yet on this, but hopefully we're going to see some pressure there. Right. But how do you combat this sort of ideology of expressive individualism, which is uh, assisting with this process? I think that's kind of a natural law question, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you, you've got a kind of um, sort of very pervasive conception in our culture that the most deepest part of the human identity is one's subjective feelings mm-hmm. and that justice requires that those feelings be given a free play and not only a free play, but now even affirmed. And anyone who questions either whether subjective feelings are your true identity or whether uh, those feelings should be affirmed is instantly uh, held suspect and, and accused of being intolerant and all these other things. Right, bigotry and, and so on and so forth. Exactly, right. So, I mean, just for your listeners, right, what's the alternative to this? You know, the alternative uh, anthropology is one uh, that I think um, uh, we, we deeply know to be true, that we human beings are, are their bodies in a very important way. There's a, there's a person-body uni- unity mm-hmm. uh, that's, that's affirmed in the catechism, and more interestingly, that, that, that unity has a focal point in a way in our sexuality, our sexuality in some sense is bound up with the, in, with the whole human person, mm-hmm. not with part of us. Mm-hmm. And this is why we have laws against sexual assault, right? Yep, exactly. Uh, as I tell my students, we don't have laws against elbow assault. We don't have laws <laughs> against knee assault. Right. But we have special laws against sexual assault. Everyone knows that our sexuality is bound up with the whole person. Right. And what's and, interesting about uh, those laws, too, is the laws of sexual assault indicate attack against the person. The laws are not against the genitalia. So exactly, yeah, we've got a, we've got an incoherence in our legal system, and this as in so many other ways. And uh, you know, I think we're seeing, in some sense, just you know, revolt against that. And uh, of course, that's and if you take John Paul II's theology of the body seriously, mm-hmm. it's in many ways the deepest part of ourselves, right? Yep. If if uh, Satan wanted to get maximum impact for undermining the faith, that's where he's going to go. Mm-hmm. You know, he probably knows a bit of his genesis, too. They were naked without <laughs> shame, and then they realized they were naked after they sinned. Yeah, I so think Satan knows scripture. Oh, yeah, yeah. He doesn't quote it accurately, but he knows it. And he knows to target the body and target human sexuality mm-hmm. uh, is to do the deepest damage to the human person. 
And so, in, in large part, that's what's going on here. Right. Um, so, uh, but the good uh, news, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, just want to remind our listeners, we're talking to Dr. Nathan Schlitter, prof- Professor of Philosophy and Religion at Hillsdale College. Uh, he, he's a good friend, and, and he's brilliant at the work of philosophical anthropology and, and uh, you know, co- u- utilizing the work of theolo- John Paul II's Theology of the Body in this uh, engagement. So, Dr. Schlitter, uh, before we move forward, I just want to ask, how did we get here? Because nowhere in the Western patrimony of the intellectual tradition, let alone America or the Catholic tradition, do we endorse this kind of expressive individualism? How did we get here as a society and nation? That's a great question, and it's a somewhat of a complicated one. Uh, the story is, is told, I think, persuasively in many ways by Carl Truman, uh, has a series of books out, uh, the most recent uh, readable abridgment of a longer book is called Strange New World how thinkers and activists redefine identity and sparked the sexual revolution. And he traces it back to things like uh, a new conception of nature that you get from modern science, from Baconian science, mm-hmm. thinking about nature no longer as having essences, just, um, formal causes and final causes, but understanding nature mm-hmm. simply as matter in motion to be dominated and controlled. And the whole aspiration of technology, because... You know, as I tell my students, you know, I, I kind of get that embodiment, uh, especially in a fallen world, is a source of frustration. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to sleep, you get up, you have to eat and brush <laughs> your teeth and get dressed. And, yeah, you know, the body can be a little bit, feel like a little bit of a drag. Mm-hmm. And it's not surprising that Gnosticism is kind of a permanent tempta- temptation mm-hmm. in the human condition. I think Christianity did a great job of kind of keeping Gnosticism in check mm-hmm. by sort of simultaneously affirming the goodness of the body and yet directing us to uh, the incarnation and the resurrection of the body. It really sort of does this. So when Christianity loses some of its influence, Gnosticism is necessarily going to rear its head again. Modern science, I think, has these strong Gnostic elements in it. But then you twin that with the Romantic movement Mm. of the 19th century, which puts so much emphasis on subjectivity and feeling and emotion. And you twin those together and you get what I, what I called earlier the autonomy industrial complex. Mm-hmm. You, know, you get the scientific technological side at the service of the romantic autonomy side. Right. Um, so I think those are some of the historical moments, but I do think that you know, really the important, maybe, maybe the task in addition to understanding that, is just to understand what is it in human nature that people who are behind and in support of the transgender movement, of the same-sex marriage movement, what are they really attached to? Right. You know, the, 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 there's something in there that is important for us to understand, because mm-hmm. we don't understand it, we're going to have a very hard time combating it. And what is it? Well, I think it's different for both of them. Uh, for, the, for the transgender movement, um, I, well, by the way, okay, if I, if, in the shortness of our time, what I will mm-hmm. say is that uh, what, what both of these movements, I think, share in common is a, uh, is a tracing back to a breakdown of marriage in the family. Mm-hmm. And there seems to be sort of overwhelming evidence about the human need for a kind of unconditional love mm. from their biological married parents mm-hmm. that stabilizes them and gives them a sense of confidence and identity. So this is all an identity crisis. When this breaks down, and I think in almost every 
almost all these trans, you know, cases of the kids who are experiencing, especially early onset gender dysphoria and things like this, I mean, there's a lot of connection between sort of um, uh, irregular or broken homes and uh, some some parenting issues and mm. the experiences the kids are going through. Right. So, uh, so I think that what what's going on, at least in the in the per, per person suffering from the dysphoria, is a kind of deep need for love, for unconditional love, and for knowing who they are. Right. It's an identity crisis at its root. Amen. And we're going to continue having these conversations, Dr. Schlita. You're going to be one of those people we constantly tap on for, for this conversation. have been talking to Dr. Schlita, Professor of Philosophy and Religion at Hillsdale College. Stay tuned for more Conversational Consequence with me, Marcus Peter, filling in for Al Cresta on Cresta in the afternoon.